Hey guys, this is Person About Town. <laughs> so guys, this episode and each of this month's episodes are going to be a little bit different. Normally I choose a guest, they tell me about their favorite place in Boston, and we walk around and learn a little bit about them and their lives and how they came to this city. But for February, we're going to look at romantic relationships, specifically how they begin. So for the next month, I'm going to start out by saying, hey guys, this is Love About Town. So this all started because my sister sent me an article, 36 Questions to Fall in Love. In it, the author describes a 20-year-old experiment where a man and a woman, both heterosexual, enter a lab and ask each other 36 questions to stimulate intimacy and ideally spark romantic connection. That old study resulted in a marriage, so the author decided to give it a try and ended up in a relationship. So I needed to know, how do 36 questions create a romantic bond? I mean, I've been on more boring, no chemistry first dates than I'd like to admit, with people I had tons in common with. Would I have had better luck simply finding a stranger and doing this exercise? So of course I tried it. To do this, I used four groups of strangers. Finding great single women in my friend group, not a problem. I had more volunteers than I could work with. But finding men who didn't already know these women was a challenge. So I wrote everyone I knew, asking for leads. And for a while, it looked like we weren't going to be able to do the experiment. But then I asked one guy who worked in the video game industry and suddenly was flooded with requests to participate. I don't have a laboratory, so I decided to pair people up at restaurants and cafes around the city. We scheduled about two hours for each session, and I told my friends about the plan. They said it sounded interesting, but it was pretty dick to ask a bunch of people to divulge terribly private information about themselves without doing it myself. So I decided to do it. As a test run, just to see if the experience would be too terrible to subject other people to. And here's that experience. So, what led you to agree to do something that's a little bit off-kilter? I actually had read the article, I guess, a, a week or two ago before this podcast was happening. I think my first reaction was to say no. Actually, I was busy. And it seemed like this, and then I thought, that's probably not, no, it's probably not a good idea. You should probably say yes. Otherwise, you kind of, you know, it should be a very interesting experience, and you are single, and you were certainly dating and looking to, so then I did. Um, but it was, uh, it was sort of impulsive, which is why we probably had trouble meeting up, uh, and I came 40 minutes late. So what are your thoughts right now? We're about to start. Any trepidation? Oh, no trepidation. What's, yeah, yeah, there's quite a lot of trepidation. Fortunately, we're in a, 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 a new place in a, in a corner of town that it doesn't seem to have quite hit yet. So, like, not a lot of people I know. It looks like, looks like a lot of people 10 years younger than me whose opinion doesn't matter so much. No offense to them. So, uh, a little bit of trepidation, but that's, that's fine. So, my thoughts right now are just stay in each succeeding second. All right. So, let's get started with the questions while we wait for the tea. Or... Yeah, the tea doesn't seem to be coming out yet. All right. Given the choice of anyone in the world, whom would you want as a dinner guest? Okay. At the, I just criticized people 10 years younger than me, but the first reaction was George Orwell, which is a very undergraduate reaction, but I was just reading his stuff again. It's also because I don't think he'd be 
terribly picky about what I made because he seemed a bit sloppy and unconcerned with that kind of stuff. So it'd be a low stress in that regard. I like that you assume that you have to cook for him versus just like going out to dinner. Hmm. As someone who selected this as a question, like these questions, I really should have thought about the answers a little bit more. Gut instinct, Bill Clinton. Just because he seems like an interesting guy. Like you would have a fun time, right? Yeah. No, I imagine. Also, he'd do all the talking, but he'd have a lot of really fascinating things to say. So that's true, yeah. Okay, so would you like to be famous in what way? I'd say up until the age of 20, I definitely wanted to be famous in all sorts of unhealthy ways. Like probably when I was 10, in like in a Macaulay Culkin way. And then you realize that wasn't a good idea. And then, I, I don't know, like, yeah, I probably wanted to be, I, yeah, known and interviewed. And so now it's happening in the moment. Yeah, there you go. This point, I don't know. I think the idea that I would I would I would do something that might get recorded and still like read about a couple generations later, even if it was very small, but like w still kind of worth repeating or referring to, is kind of comforting in more of a like fear of mortality way. Like I guess more when you're younger, it's I don't know fear of isolation or just like I don't know not being important. And now it would be nice to not be entirely forgotten. I guess so. Yeah, like I I I would love to be like. They'd be like, oh yeah, I remember reading that guy was quoted somewhere. Okay, but yeah, and I'm a little too embarrassed to want anything more than that. I think I lack the shame and embarrassment that you are expressing because yeah, I totally would love to be famous, but like for a specific reason, I would love to somehow make it as a comedian person and not necessarily like a stand-up comedian, but like potentially a writer or I don't know, someone who just puts good content out there and then people are aware of that but I recognize how juvenile it sounds to express that. I'm not sure my answer is any <laughs> less juvenile. I don't know, insecure. This doesn't yeah. sound juvenile at all. Yours sounds like someone who respects their eventual death. <laughs> like. What would constitute a perfect day for you? Uh, so at Kung Fu Tea, uh, if you go there, you will occasionally have to experience this as part of your interaction. So we're gonna pause it for just a second. So we've gotten our tea, and the loud noise has stopped momentarily. Uh, so we're going to pick back up with the questions. We think we stopped at what constitutes a perfect day for you? I think um, a perfect day would involve accomplishing something, like, solid. Not necessarily, like, life-changing, but, like, something solid within, like, the near term. And, uh, and eventually spending some point of the day, probably towards the end, though I'm not sure when, with, like, someone I care about. Um, like maybe my brother or something like that and like having a decent even if, even if like a, a decent level of that kind of connection with someone even lasts like 20 minutes 30 minutes yeah and just and but also not feeling like I just let the day go without taking care of things that need taken care of so like an obligation met and like an intimate connected with and that would be a really good day for me a perfect day would probably follow a very productive day so like like the perfect day would be one where I don't wake up with a list of things that I need to get done where it's like oh I can kind of explore or I mean if we're going really specific a perfect day is 68 degree low 75 degree high walking around movie theater like I love movie theaters so I would at some point go see a movie probably eat sushi or it has to be some ethnic food maybe a hamburger because I really love hamburgers and then, like, getting drinks with my friends at night. I love that. That's probably why I like comedy so much, because it's essentially like, hey, get drinks with your friends, and then for five minutes get on stage and, like, talk at people. But outside of that, really, it's just, like, getting drinks with your friends. 
Do actors do that? I mean, they do. The actors can do after the show. Sometimes we're too exhausted. This is identifying information, oh. which is all right. So, um, no, no. <laughs> I was like, there are a lot of actors in Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I want my voice to be like the kind of voice they give to criminals that's warped and super deep. I think that would be great for this particular so modulate. <laughs> yeah, we, it, hanging out after a show or after rehearsal and getting drinks is great. Although, but I, seeing what the comics do where it feels like it's actually part of the show in a way is, uh, there's something kind of cool and about that, about the being part of the scene rather than the thing you do once the scene's done. All right. If you were able to live to the age of 90 and retain either the mind or body of a 30-year-old for the last 60 years of your life, which would you want? So I, I did see that one while we were getting the tea there. I actually haven't read these. And it occurred to me that I really would want the body. And I felt bad about that. But I'll clarify that I was a, I'm 33 now, and I was a pretty dim 30-year-old. And if, it, if it's that 30-year-old mind, I would rather keep the body and hope that the mind would develop. I do feel like, though I was a dim 30-year-old, I was even dimmer in the preceding years. And, uh, and I feel like I've had a bit of a, a leap in terms of problem solving and intellect in the past three years, uh, the more I wade into this decade. And uh, I don't know, my grandmother didn't start losing her mental faculties and she was about 93. So if I could keep the, the, the mind of a, the, I mean, the, if I could keep developing my mind and get to 90 and then drop dead and maybe stay on that same dementia calendar as my grandma, but that I'd want the body, I am, I'm realizing, um, yeah. I don't know because my grandmother had Alzheimer's starting like in her 60s. I'll keep my mind. I'll keep my mind. And I will adjust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll keep my mind. All right. Do you have a secret hunch about how you will die? Uh, no. I have no insight. I mean, like, I've got fears, but I don't know that they're a hunch. I mean, like, I guess I got people like, my dad's pretty sure esophageal cancer. Um, because he's had like intense acid reflux and coughing since his 40s. But I feel like that's almost a security blanket for him, like he knows now. He's like, it's going to be esophageal cancer. Because his other alternative, he keeps threatening to like, you know, buy a plane ticket, not tell any of us, and just like walk up, you know, the Adirondacks until he just drops dead. Threatening? Well, not threatening, sort of like bragging, like this is what's going to maybe happen. Of course, now we won't let him go on a plane, so he... I don't know, he's 76. He's a really robust 76. My family's all a bit emotionally childish, and our bodies seem to hold out far longer than necessary. So far, anyway. So I don't know, like, a hunch, like, I kind of feel like I'll probably get into a car accident because I'm not a great driver. Or, I mean, but, I, like, I'm not one of those people, like, hey, I'm going to drink myself to death. I don't, have the, I don't have the panache for that. So I don't know. I wish I had a better hunch about that. So yeah. I feel like I'm with your dad on it in the fact that like yeah all of my family gets cancer it's like you're gonna get one of the cancers it, it, it'll be one of many types you get a variety choice but you're gonna get cancer and then you're gonna die like yeah. and my grandparents both died or both I feel like all of them kind of die in their early 80s so it's like I have until my early 80s I'll get cancer and then I'll die up until then hopefully I can still remember things we'll see <laughs> I used to think, though, when I was in high school, I don't know how this got started around my friends. Everyone was like, Kenise, you're going to die when you're 27 years old. <laughs> Just, I don't know, that's like a weird, fucked up joke. But it was like, yep, definitely going to die when I'm 27. And then I lived the year of 27, and I was like, oh, I'm still alive. Huh, I guess I'll just make it to my 80s then. Yeah. That's, it was one of those two alternatives. 27 or your 80s. 
Yeah. Because like Kurt Cobain and Janis Joplin and like all those greats um, died died when they were 27. Maybe you were like a rock star. Uh, yeah. To- no, I was not. Like, if you can think of a rock star and then kind of like the opposite, right. I was closer to the opposite. I think. But I think it also had something to do with the prediction that the world was going to end in 2012, and that's when I turned 27. So it was like, oh, so you're, we feel like you're most susceptible to the world ending, so you're going to die at 27. Well, that's good. You're most connected to the world then. All these other solipsists, they're, they're just going to survive Armageddon due to narcissism. All right, great. Um, what's the next one? Name three things you and your partner appear to have in common. Uh-oh, this is the first one where we refer to each other, right? Yes. All right, wow. Um, let's see. We're both into performance. We're both short for our genders, I guess. Wait, how tall are you? I'm 5'6 and 3 quarters. I'm 5'3. Yeah. Even. Even. I'm shorter than the average, I think, for males, a little bit, yeah. I'm 4 inches shorter than the average. 4 inches shorter. Alright, cool. Let's see. Like, now I don't, I don't know why. I'm, like, not that we don't have other things in common. I think it's like other things is trying to be good. Um, we have similar taste in coats, I'm noticing. Um, mm-hmm. It seems, no, I mean, mine's more of a, a pea coat, but the yes. black and the material and yes. the leathers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for yeah. a coat, I think black is a very good color. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It hides dirt, whatever, it's fine. It's, uh, it absorbs heat, it's great. You stole definitely my first one, the performance, artistic sort of thing. I'm going to say we have friends in common. We do, yeah. We do. Uh, which is why you're also like a cheap person, because the other people who are meeting, total strangers. Oh, really? 100% okay, cool. strangers. That's a good test run then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was also like, he can talk to people, so at least I know that. This one will be fine, because he's not like a total weirdo. Uh, not to say that any of the other people on the other podcasts are total weirdos. I haven't met them yet. I can't confirm or deny. So that's to friends in common and artistic. We live in the same area. We do. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. 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 So we're both, yeah, we're both summer villains right yes. now. So, cool. If you could change anything ab- Oh, no, Kenise. <laughs> if you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? Gosh, I gotta choose one. Um... <laughs> And this is like, yeah, I uh, risk taking. Um, I mean, there's a lot more. I, I, I'm tempted to list a whole lot of others, and maybe this is the one that feels like the safest to say. Okay. Um, but like, I don't. For some reason, I think, and I think out of just fear and love, and I was also the firstborn. Like, I think the idea. I was encouraged to look out and protect myself as like a top priority, mm. rather than maybe exposing myself to things and maybe and taking risks. And uh, so I guess like a willingness, yeah, that if I was raised with a bit, uh, a bit less encouragement to like protect myself at all costs. Yeah, at the moment, wow. so. That's pretty intense. Well, we gotta get there at some Yeah, point. we do have to yeah. do the intention. Um, for me, it would probably be, uh, I was raised by a single mother and I just wish that she had somebody to take some stuff off her plate. Because when I was growing up, I was like, she is so mean to me. <laughs> she wasn't really, she was like super, caring and loving and I've always been really supported but it was like oh she's just stressed out because she has to raise like three children on her own in the south as a black woman <laughs> like oh I get it like, <laughs> so I guess like when I was a kid our answer would have been totally different like it would probably be like for my mom to leave me alone or like to let me do more stuff but like her not letting me do stuff is probably why now uh, I'm not addicted to drugs or have like a 10 year old child which is what the kids who were allowed to do everything did, I guess. Yeah. So I wish, yeah, if I could change anything about how I was raised, it would be for there to be, like, a secondary person, whether it be, like, I guess, a romantic partner for my mom or just, like, someone who was just 
around more to make it feel like it wasn't all on her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be what I would change about how it's raised. Okay, so take four minutes. Uh, I don't know if we need to like time this out, but four minutes to tell your partner your life story in as much detail as possible. So I'm going to time myself before I give my life story. I hate doing this. <laughs> this happened a couple times. Um, this happens to you often that you have to give a life story in a particular manner. I mean, like, yeah, not often. All right, Kenny, so I was born in 1981 in May. I was born at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, my parents had been married since January. My mom was five months pregnant with me, I believe, or four months pregnant with me at their wedding. They, my dad was 42 and my mom was 30. They met when my mom was 26 and my dad was about 37, 38. I think they might have gotten married without getting pregnant with me, but I'm not certain. And my dad doesn't seem certain. He definitely thinks it was a good idea that they did, but he doesn't credit himself with having the maturity, even in his early 40s, to have really settled down and done it. So I, I may I, um, have been, have been the, the ultimate uh, deal sealer for my parents' marriage, which has actually lasted uh, to the surprise of a lot of people around them, which is great. So my mom started a, a multimedia company in the 80s that did all right and hung on for 13 years and then eventually under circumstances I never really quite clarified she got forced out although a lot of people who'd worked with her seemed to think and learning from them they seemed to think it was not deserved um, and they certainly didn't like her successor who may be in jail now I'm not sure um, this is not germane to it so I was born in 81 my parents worked very hard um, they traveled a lot my they both worked more than full-time hours when I was growing up um, and uh, it was a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty lucky, fortunate, privileged life. But I'm just thinking about in terms of the climate. They were both working more than full-time, and my father was home more than my mom. He kind of resented her for it. I had a, another brother born a month, oh, less than two years after me. And then uh, eventually they had a third kid when I was about 10 or 11. And so we moved out to the suburbs. So I grew up in the Boston area, just a greater Boston area, not far from where we're sitting. And then... Then we moved out to the suburbs, which I really resented because I thought I was a city kid. I was a very privileged city kid, but I uh, then, but I didn't like the suburbs. Um, I'd also gotten kept back in kindergarten, and I tried to skip a grade to just get back to what I thought was like normal for me, and I didn't work out. I'd been an okay student, but I but they didn't think I should skip fifth grade, so had a chip on my shoulder for about that. Went to high school, then took two years working professionally in theater before college, and that was kind of fun. I mean, professionally also meant being like an assistant stage manager and an intern, and I got one paying acting gig, and then I did college, and I didn't have, my first girlfriend was actually college, um, and so I was three years behind everyone else now in college, but it was a state school where that kind of was normal. Yeah. Cohabitated with this woman, person I'm still friends with, um, very dramatic sort of starts the relationship because she'd been engaged to my friend, which everyone thought was crazy because they were in college and early on, and then they had a really emotionally violent breakup. And then two months later, we ended up together. So no, no one, none of us seem, were probably very smart. And, uh, and that, it's interesting. It seems like I'm kind of patching stuff up with that, the third part of that triangle as well recently. And, uh, and then I kind of, once I was done with college, I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be an actor. But I was working other jobs and not making a lot of money. And then friends invited me to act in like Fringe Theater in Boston, which led to some professional stuff in one really good Fringe Theater company. And I realized this was the only way I was going to socialize. So I kept that up for the remainder of my 20s and then got into history a lot and a couple museums and nonprofit jobs. And I've been teaching a bit more recently. I had a lot of fun doing theater. I met a lot of really great people in the area. and But I feel like I only... I think I mentioned I was a pretty dim 30-year-old. Did I time this? All right. And I feel like I've really just about entering something like 
a decent adulthood now. I have 15 seconds to go, so yes. 33 years old and just about entering a decent, uh, humble, mature, and organized adulthood. Take it away, Kanice. Okay, can you start that yeah. for me? Yeah. All right, so I was not born here. I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, to a mom who had... My father was around when I was born. He wasn't around after about six years. I was like a, a dorky, quieter kid, I guess, uh, which I feel like a lot of comedians can say. Uh, I had an older sister. She was eight years older. She is eight years older than me. She didn't die. I have an identical twin sister who I will edit everything out about you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> she is cool. She's probably the person in the world who's the closest to me. Elementary school, same elementary school the whole time through, same middle school the whole time through, same high school the whole time through. So it was just like the same people. Like, so anything that I did when I was a kid could probably still be referenced to by the people I went to high school with, which is like, son of a bitch. Like, how am I supposed to grow as a person if I still have to be this thing that I was? I, I was always kind of like, imagine if you put like a Robert De Niro character in a middle school. <laughs> so just like a mean, aggressive person who told other people what to do all the time. Like that was my middle school experience. And then I got to high school, calmed down, uh, got into my first serious relationship, practically lived with that guy because my mom was upset about stuff. And so I just like stayed over at his house a lot. So it's like I did this thing where it was like, I felt like an old married person in high school because like we had dinner parties and like I did laundry there, like it was just ridiculous. Uh, went to college, thank God we broke up, we were not right for each other at all. Went to college at a historically black university, which was very different than the very white suburb that I grew up in. And then I came to Boston for grad school for film production because one day I was working at the American Psychological Association DC and my friend was like, you never talk about psychology or history, both of which were my majors at the time. You always talk about movies, maybe you should do something with that. So I moved here to go to BU, went to BU, moved out to LA, had a great time in LA, where I was just kind of like, like LA is how I, like, I think of that two and a half year period where I lived there as just like a big vacation. Like, oh man, I went to the beach all the time, I went hiking a lot, like I went out drinking every day after work, because like, unlike now, where after work I'm like, all right, so I have like this many hours, which means I get to do this many tasks on my to-do list. Uh, it was just like, oh, I don't have anything particular to do, so we're just going to go out and drink or go hiking or go to this new art exhibit. So I felt very young city person, and now I feel older. <laughs> so that's my life description. All right. Um, I feel exhausted by saying all that. How, how much time did I take there? Oh, you did even less than what? three minutes. Oh. Wow. Well, that was my whole life. There, there you, you got go. it. <laughs> Yeah, I just haven't done that much, maybe, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, that's, yeah, cool. It's good. We don't want to spend too much, I mean, I guess we're all supposed to talk about ourselves on this one, but, all right, 12. Cool. No, I, that felt pretty thorough to me. It doesn't sound like an, un, sound like an uneventful life. It okay. seems all right, yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one quality or ability, what would it be? I'm going to, I mean, this is probably... I would probably change this answer upon reflection, but this isn't entirely about reflection, which is dancing. I'm a horrible dancer. You're a horrible dancer? Yeah, which is too bad, especially in my profession, right? All right, so we're into set two, what? Okay, if a crystal ball could tell you the truth about yourself, oh no, your life, the future, or anything else, what would you want to know? Oh no, that's a very, that's a, that's a pretty deep question. This is a vague and general answer because, yeah, this is being recorded. Um, I would probably want to know if I know myself as well as I think I do. Because I think I know myself mostly, but I'd want to know if 
I am looking in a funhouse mirror reflection of myself or if I'm actually seeing myself accurately. And so any plans that I have, are they based on an accurate understanding of the tools that I have in front of me or are they based on a weird version of that? No, that, that sounds like a, a useful one and a frightening one. I think I'd want to know if I actually have free will and how much of it I have and in what spheres of my behavior, which would be, yeah, it's also scary, I think, but I'd like to know. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to point at the next one. I was like, Kenise doesn't trust me. She's like, nope, you, need, you want something else. And I was like, but no, I'm just picking the next question. All right. So is there something that you've dreamed of doing for a long time? Why haven't you done it? Man, I think lack of dreaming has actually been a problem. I know, right? Learning an instrument, I guess. It's kind of boring because it feels like the other skill, but that's something I would want. The, I just want to dance. But like, I'd, I'd want the process of learning an instrument, which I've taken up a couple times. It still it feels like an insufficient answer. The other thing was I've not actually traveled outside the United States, and I don't understand why. And I'm a little freaked out about, I think i got to force myself. I'm not scared, but I'm a little freaked out about that I don't seem to have the itch, which seems weird. It feels like that feels like some sort of deficiency. But I've given two answers now, so I'm going to send it to you. I think while it is important to travel, the idea that everyone should have this innate desire to, like, run around the globe, I don't know if that's necessary for everyone to have, like... I, I don't know. Like, I don't think everyone should go to college. I, whatever. That's, <laughs> these are my opinions. That being said, one of the things I dream about doing is uh, dropping everything for a year and then just traveling. Because I have friends who live all over the globe, and I would like to see them. Specifically, I want to go back to Western Europe because I'm boring. No, I'm not boring. A lot of people want to go there. It's fine. But I have friends in Toulouse. I have friends in Paris. I now my I found out one of my best friends. <clears throat> she is moving to Amsterdam, and so it's like, oh man, I really want to go like see her while she lives there. I've never been to London. I've heard I'd love it. So yeah, I want to go check that out. But also like, and the thing that's keeping me from doing it, uh, money, absolutely money, uh, because a vacation like that would cost a lot, and I need to make money. But also, it used to just be money, but now it's also comedy. So like taking a year to travel around the world means I'm not taking a year to like become a better comedian and do more shows and like grow in that. It's weird to find a passion and then have that passion stop you from doing other things. And you just have to accept, like, all right, well, I'm, no, I'm taking on this passion now, and I'll do this later. All right, so question 15. What is the greatest accomplishment of your life? Well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Kind of, sometimes I just feel like survival. I'm just like, I'm a bit of a mess. I'm really glad I got out the door. What is the greatest accomplishment of my life? Oh, Kenise. Oh, this is a hard one. There's nothing, there's nothing. I mean, like, I'm not dissatisfied. I mean, like, I'm not, like, dissatisfied or, like, self-hating about it. I just, I don't think that there's been greatness as a, so this is a relative greatness. Yeah. You know what's stupid? I just, the fall of 2011, I, um, I kind of realized what it was. I didn't realize I was actually, I was, um, I had a physical illness that I was just too stupid to identify and I didn't have health insurance at the time. And I guess a depression. It was a very functional depression, but unlike anyone I've experienced since. And I was doing two shows in rep, and they were really hard. And both shows were basically about people who were like damned, and I was feeling pretty damned. And like, and the fact that I got th got through it, it seemed like good work. It was, you know, and I would think I was a good to work with, um, which is important and kind of can at least be hard for me. And I think the. The fact that in spite of that, and maybe also, and eventually maybe using to riding that kind of wave of physical weakness and and uh, and and also just like misery, uh, and that that actually is some work I was, I think the closest work I could say that it's it was it was 
okay to be proud of that. So yeah, I think the, the, the fall of 2011 and getting through that and doing my job. Oh man, like while you were thinking, I was like, you gotta think of something because he's gonna finish <laughs> and you're gonna have to say words. Um, you, you did, so I should have, uh, I can, yeah. When I left college, I made a list of things I wanted to do before I died. And I've done a lot of those. What do you value most in a friendship? Oh man, candidness, I think is good. That's a decent sign of a friendship when you like, you're, you're a lot more straight with someone basically able to say, say things that aren't always really fun to say or fun to hear. And I guess someone, you know, I mean, I think it's hard being friends with a number of comics because they're far better at this than I am. But being able to run with a conceit or an idea for a while and sort of inhabit it, even if it's like a, a particularly ridiculous one, is one of the more just enjoyable parts of friendship. So I will, I'll give those two, like candidness and being able to run with an idea. Candor. It's called candor. So we're going to have to re that. You just said your name. Yeah, we got to edit your name. Yeah, that's cool. It's called candor, asshole. That's fine. All right. I sound super old school. I'm gonna say the word and then I'm gonna describe what I mean by that versus like the sociopath meaning of that. Loyalty? So like not loyalty in like a, I need to be able to kill someone and they need to be able to like <laughs> help me hide the body. No, I mean loyalty in the way, like something that includes candor, but also includes like, they are willing to try to be a good version of themselves around you, even though they know they don't have to be all the time. But like, they don't want to be an asshole to you, you're their friend. Like, they're more willing to be an asshole maybe to other people, but like, you're their friend, they're not gonna, they're gonna try to avoid being that way around you. Oh, one thing, and this is because I've been around some like, not great people, they're not gonna sell you under the bus for immediate gain. <laughs> yeah, there are some people that I know that if in the moment, like someone says something mean about you, but that person is someone that they want to know more about or like they want to book them or they want to do whatever. They'll be like, yeah, look at her. She's ridiculous. And it's like, well, you're kind of, you're fuck you. <laughs> you're an asshole. So that sort of loyalty, I guess. I don't know if other industries are like this, but we're an industry of cowards a lot of the time. And so there's a lot of that. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> we're here to destroy an experiment. So yeah, we go, no, it's good. It's, um, where are we? Oh, what? Is, what is, okay, so what is your most treasured memory? So whatever my most treasured memory is, it's got to be a pretty inaccurate reading of whatever the event was, right? Because it's got to be something I've gone over in my head again and again and again, yeah. like a, a, a kitten I've petted until it has brain damage, right? <laughs> like, like, you know, like it was just that there's no way it's, it's the most accurate memory yeah. I've got, probably. Oh, man. I've got a few really nice ones. Man, 2011, 2012 had some really interesting bits in it. So I, I never drank until I was 30, and I did it for a role. There's some alcoholics in my family, very benevolent, nice, self-knowing alcoholics who were like, I don't think you should even try. And then, I'm not even sure that they were right, but like, they were saying it out of quite a lot of affection. So, but this character got way too tipsy, and I had no idea how to do it. And I was having real trouble on a number of levels with this character. Um, and so I was like, no, I'm gonna have to try. And it was fine. But then I was given some wine after a preview and before, like, I think before opening night, certainly before a night with critics. And, and this was cheap wine at a reception. And I hadn't had wine yet, and I didn't know. I was, like, drinking out of a Dixie cup. And then I just had a light dinner, and I was fine. I didn't feel drunk. My muscles felt a little relaxed. And then I woke up the next morning and just emptied out my stomach. Like, I got to bed. I was not slurring or anything like that. And then another person said they'd felt, I don't, this is a treasured memory, Kenise. <laughs> And so I basically, I was, I was, had no, I would, I threw up in the morning and then I threw up again on the subway platform and I had a matinee 
And, and I was like, this is the worst, least professional thing I've ever done. And part of me was arguing, you didn't get drunk. You're just ill. And another actor was like, no, I was nauseous too, but you threw up. And, and then we got through the show. And it was fine. It was actually a pretty good show. And it was, and it was just, I think, I, I, there was a supportive cast. And one guy was like my, the big brother I always wanted since I'm the oldest brother. And he's probably, I think he's my age. But because I'd just gotten like drunk and throwing up. And now I had my older brother here on, on, on the stage with me, uh, like looking out for me. And I wasn't drunk now, I was just exhausted. And it was, it was really nice, camaraderie, there was camaraderie and friendship in that, and I felt helped, and it was great. So, there you go. That's a nice, plus, like, that's a good that's treasured yeah, memory. I think it's a tie, this is cheap, but whatever, I'm gonna do it. It's a tie between, and both of these are summer 2010. One is, one summer my friend and I decided that mojitos was, like, that's all we were gonna drink. <laughs> so we made, like, huge batches of mojito in advance, put it in water bottles, and went to a park and just drank in a park. <laughs> kind of like hobos, but it was at night and there were no hobos. And we were like just on swings and it's like some of our other friends came and joined us. And so it was like this weird sort of like party in a park. And it's like just like being tipsy, but like on a whirly thing. And just like, oh, the wind feels great. It's the summertime. Like this is life. <laughs> like that's super silly. Uh, and the second one, later that summer, is when I was driving across the country uh, to move to L.A. And my sister and I had just had this huge fight where, like, like things from childhood were brought up, like, just, like, back and forth in a car, because we'd been in a car with one another for, I want to say, eight days at this point. And we were going through Lake Tahoe. Yeah, and then we were from Lake Tahoe. We were like, we're going to go just kind of drive around Napa for a little while before we have to be in San Francisco at night. So we just drove around, and I took a bunch of pictures, which I really like doing. And yeah, just windows down, wind on skin, just taking photos of things, looking around. And we like had just come to this understanding, like, no, we're, we're cool. <laughs> like, we're not going to suddenly stop being sisters or anything. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is a good moment. So next one, <laughs> not going up. Uh, if you knew that in one year you would die suddenly, would you change anything about the way you are now living and why? I bet I'd find religion pretty quick, actually, really? to be frank. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know like what form that would take exactly, but I probably, I think I've, I've always sort of figured like, there's a reason that's here, mm -hmm. but like, and kind of not really gone into it. Um, and then uh, how would you, I probably, I'd like to think I'd be much nicer. And the why, I realize there's a why after that. It's probably <laughs> still for very selfish reasons in terms of like, to leave enough impact and like, oh God, I've got a horrible phrase that's coming to my head, like emotional real estate in other people's minds <laughs> when I'm gone and to remember it adequately. And I'm a little worried about how this is coming out. Um, but that's, the, to be frank, yeah. I mean, I probably, I'd like to think that it would make, die suddenly, I would, I would probably just become significantly nicer and less selfish than I am right now. Wow. Uh, I would quit my job if I only have a year left to live and like do things that I want to do. That's, I, I, I would say I don't have time for that. Even though I would, in that year, uh, drive myself into horrible debt. <laughs> I'd probably max out a credit card, go traveling. I would do comedy every night, probably, because I really like comedy. I would eat whatever the fuck I wanted. <laughs> I would just, like, gar like, some garbage things, some amazing things. I'd be like, hey, guys, I need you to accept that I'm, uh, you're talking about being nicer to everyone. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm going to be kind of selfish because <laughs> I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> if it, like, I would also probably, because 
the producer in me is like, all right, we need to make sure everyone knows what's going on. So I draft a letter <laughs> that says, hey, guys, I'm going to die in a year. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's completely inevitable. I'm, uh, it's it's going to be, hopefully, ideally, they don't say how, but it, they say suddenly. So yeah, yeah. hopefully I would maintain everything. I would go balls to the walls crazy <laughs> and live like a, like a real jerk. No, that sounds good. I think for some reason I assumed, like, I had the secret knowledge, and we don't need to tear apart the questions, but, like, I was... I thought, like, I was like, only you know this is going to happen. <laughs> so, I don't know. But there was, um, what does friend, okay, so question number 20. What does friendship mean to you? The better version of friendship, um, which I'm not, I'm not great at, is uh, there's a, cer- a certain level of your, the kind of practice you're given in life with certain people to be, like, wanting good for them, like, wishing they're good, and actively engaging that muscle that otherwise, like, becomes pretty, the atrophy is pretty quick. I think mainly in metaphors when I like picture things in my brain, but friendship is like, like you're a spindle in a spider web, and you're all part of it, and it all one spindle would just fall to the ground, uh, but you're all part of it in a way that supports each person, and you can't just be like, no, I just want to be supported now. You all have to support one another so that this thing can maintain itself. I guess does that make sense? No, actually, that's sense. Yeah. So, friendship to me is interconnected network of people who are <laughs> willing to support each other <laughs> and hopefully like each other. Um, family is an interconnected network where you don't have to like each other, but friends you should because you choose them. Yeah. It seems cool because we should probably have both, the people you have to like and then the people you choose to like, yeah. and that's probably both good for whatever the human spirit is. Um, so I just want to add in on that one. That sounds right. Yeah, like the, why we have both. I didn't mean to cut you off if that was it. So who's reading the next? Are you reading the next? I can read the next. Okay. So what roles do love and affection play in your life? Small, marginal roles. (laughs) (laughs) Spear-carrying roles. That, you know, that's the person in the background, like in a Shakespeare play, they call them the spear carrier. Like the person is, this is like, yeah, it's it's a, yeah, it's like a a thing. Like back when theater had money and you paid like 20 actors to do a show on stage, Mm. the idea is you start, you would start out like as like the spear carrier, you know, standing guard at Hamlet, you know, whatever. So I'm joking. (laughs) I'm saying that there's not, I don't know what that means. What roles do love and affection play in my life? So, I mean, obviously my two brothers, we've gone back and forth between being kind of close and distant and, and there's never really been acrimony. I'm, I'm going to walk away from this, like, realizing how empty and cold my life is. No, are they, uh, I think, okay, so role, okay, I think I got it. The role that love and affection play in my life. Um, it's, it's lo- love and affection are, are things that will prompt me to, to better action rather than kind of, like, selfish, self-seeking action. Um, and it's also that there's that thing of, like, learning to be, to, to, to be cared for, that someone can basically, by being able to be someone who can receive love and affection, you're giving, providing that opportunity to, like, to have someone else exercise the kind of the, the more important muscles of, of human existence. I, I'm, uh, but yeah, let the record stand. I don't like my response. So there you go. Okay. Um, hmm. What roles do love and affection play in your life? I like the feelings that come with loving someone. So whether that be platonic or romantic, I just, that's like a pleasant, it's like, I think it's bad now that I think of everything in relation to comedy. It's like having a good set whenever you talk to whoever it is that you're loving, I guess. So it plays this like, say there's all the shit that happens in your day, like, or all the shit that just happens in your life. And those things just like weigh down on you. 
and then, or, or th some of them are good. I don't act like, I, I know it sounds like everything is horrible and uh, just it's only bad things that happen to people. No, but like there's a scale, all the bad things happen on one side and then I guess the love just like kind of like evens that out a little bit. So cheesy, yeah, you're, I know it's cheesy, but it does. <laughs> I feel like a crazy, whatever, it's fine. Uh, next question. Uh, alternate sharing something you consider a positive characteristic of your partner. Share a total of five items. All right, you dress well. Thanks. <laughs> I, uh, I remember the first time I saw one of Kinesis comedy set. I really like her material. I think it was really good, so yeah. I feel bad because I haven't seen you act. <laughs> Please, no, you don't have to reciprocate. I dress well, by the way, and that's a huge source of comfort in my life, so don't, don't, don't worry about that, yeah. Um, you're a nice person. Part of the reason why I think uh, you agreed to do this, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, excellent. I like Kinesis leggings. She's got red leggings right now. They look good, so. Thanks. You have good eyebrows. A lot of people don't think about eyebrows. Yeah. I do, and you have nice eyebrows. Awesome. Let's see. I was late to this thing, and Kinesis was calm and not stressed out. And I know it's her project, but it was—I—I I, I was put at ease, and I'm kind of digging. And this is continuing throughout the 24, 23 questions so far. That yeah, Kinesis is like a good host. I'm not talking about like in the comedy sense, but like I feel yeah, this is some good hospitality that's being being on offer here. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. You have good comedic timing. So. Kinesis doesn't have to give a good compliment. That's not my thing, but like, I'm, I'm glad because that's uh, whew, getting that from a comic, which is nice. So um, I, like, I like the metaphor stuff. I, like, I mean, I'm, I really don't know Kinesis very well, so I'm basing this based on a lot of the, the questions in this afternoon, but I like um, when Kinesis employed metaphors, like this, the spider web thing, I'm finding that. That helps me understand. I'm kind of wishing I, I'd get my friends to do that more, to understand what they're talking about. It's, so good metaphors. Where are we at? I think we're, yeah, we're that's five. Yeah, yeah. That's gotta be five. Gotta I'm be done. <laughs> How do you feel about your relationship with your mother? I can answer first. Okay. Um, I used to, I stated this before, but I used to be like, man, she's mean. And now I'm like, we've kind of, she's still my mom, but there's more of like a friendship, like, oh man, this stuff sucks, or this is the best. And like, we have much more casual honest conversations versus like, oh, I'm answering for something or like this is a judge, jury, and executioner that I have to like report to. So, yeah. She's really good at creating a sense of, um, what's the word? It's love also, but like if you're like a, a serf on the land of a king <laughs> and you are supposed to do X, Y, and Z and these are your responsibilities as ordained by God. <laughs> She's good at creating that sort of dynamic as well, where it's like, these are the things. I am the king of this kingdom, and you are the person who is executing my will. And now we're just like, hey, what's up? How's, well, how's your day? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Good, I guess. My relationship with my mother is good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Wow, yeah. No, it's... um. Sometimes I feel like we're almost too good friends. Like, we don't hang out a lot. Like, I don't, like, call her even every week or vice versa. But we, at least once a month, we'll, we'll chat. And sometimes a couple times a month. Like, it's fairly regular that I talk on the phone with my family. And in some ways, I feel like we're, we're not ready to be equals yet. Like, she's healthy and, and in her, like, approaching her mid-60s or in her mid-60s now. Um, she'll be 65 in November. And I'm 33. And every once in a while, I kind of still want 
I wanted to be like, don't bring shame on the family. Like, I could, I could do with that kick in the pants. And so, like, in fact, I'm just, I think what I'm here to argue against unconditional love. I think it's a real problem in our society. Um, and uh, I wouldn't actually mind a few more conditions on our, on, on our relationship, but it's actually pretty good. And I think really what I mean is I just have to motivate myself and not depend on mom to do that. Um, so, yeah, no, we, I think I'm more like my mom. I like my dad a lot. Um, and I think as I get older, I become a bit more and more like, like the old man. But I, mean, I think throughout most of my life so far, of the people in my family, both my brothers and my father and my mom, I'm most like my mom. And so we, we get along in that way. I think there's a sort of like, the, the way we say things to each other can sort of be the way that you might say something to yourself in your head when you're like calling yourself in your own bullshit. Yeah. And so there's that similar level of how we'd understand each other, so which, is, which I like and I'd miss if it, if it, if it somehow stopped happening. So. All right. So we're in set three. I don't understand this question 100%. So make the. T- I'll read it. Make three true we statements each. For instance, we are both in this room feeling, and here it's an ellipsis, but like it might be like horribly awkward <laughs> or self conscious about the one other person in the cafe. Yeah. I have no idea which one I can't even make out besides my peripheral vision. You go ahead and stare. Uh, yeah. but, um, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm a horrible person. Yeah, I will yeah. just stare if someone's yeah, yeah. like, there's this thing over there, and I will look dead well, in people's uh, eyes. Yeah. So we, so we have to go back and forth and say th- yeah, something yeah. that applies to each of us. We both didn't hate the tea. Uh, that's, that's true. I can <laughs> confirm for listeners at home. We both didn't hate the tea. We both seem to, f- I'm qualifying it, to feel the need to qualify each one of our answers, thus tripling their length. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Is, yeah, <laughs> it's like I uh, committing to a thought seems a little risky. Yeah, yeah. Are you cold? A little chilly, yeah. Okay, we're both a little chilly. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> we are both. Oh, they got to be true and not subjectively true. What? Yeah, make three true we statements. I was gonna say I'm, I was trying to be interesting. I was gonna be like we're both on stools, but I can't say that. That's a boring one. We are we are technically both. This is a like if we're going by completely true statements, we are both sitting on stools. I'm gonna steal yours. That's good. I feel like yeah, I was trying to come up with something that's a little beyond true and more subjective. <laughs> we are both sort of exposed to Elm Street because we're right by a window, and yet at the same time we've been like. Sorry, this is just the thing I've been noticing. We've been sitting behind these outdoor menu signs and people have been coming up and pointing at the signs, but it's like we're in an aquarium and they're pointing at us. It's like there's a self-conscious person engaged in a social interaction with another one. But no, maybe something else. We are both sitting on our coats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right. All right. Oh, man. Complete the sentence. I wish I had someone with whom I could share... Do you have an answer to that already? I mean, I had a couple, yeah. A bed um, is one. I mean, I'm just saying, like, if we're going to be yeah. frank, let me think. Uh, but, like, I would say a spiritual journey, which maybe you're not supposed to spare, share spiritual journeys with other people. And, and maybe, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know why this came up. And I would want it to have, like, a good ending. Mm-hmm. But, like, a life-threatening experience, like, to, like, <laughs> overcome something, like, really kind of frightening yeah. mm-hmm. with someone else. Like, I don't know. It's... Soldiers seem to be such good friends with each other or something yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. Um, I will say that sharing a life-threatening thing doesn't necessarily bring you closer to someone, uh, just because I was robbed at gunpoint with my high school boyfriend, and then uh, our very different reactions to that were part of the reason is like why we broke up like a week later, finally. Like, we had been off again, off again, on again, off and on again. But then after that, it was like, 
yeah, we're probably not going to do this. I guess I can say this. We were near my college. These two guys come up to the window and knock on the window. And then I'm like, don't roll the window down. And he thinks I say, roll the window down, which would be a dumb thing to do. Uh, so he rolls the window down. I'm like, you fucking idiot. And they put a gun against my head. And they're like, hand it over. And we're like, hand what over? And they're like, the money. So he throws his wallet out. And they go get it. Uh, and then we kind of like start the car and drive around the block really quickly. But then he just like completely breaks down and is like not functional in this moment when it's like, I need you to like get like, okay, I, I guess I'll call the cops. I guess I'll handle this whole situation because you're not like capable of like dealing with this right now. So it's like, I need you to calm down. And now I, in addition to having to deal with this other thing, I have to deal with you dealing with this. And so it's like, yeah, I don't think this is gonna, <laughs> I don't think this is gonna work out. All that being said, <laughs> Uh, I wish I had someone with whom I could share. I wish I had someone with whom I could share my creative projects. There are things that I create with other people, and we all came into the creation process, and that's nice. But if it's like my baby, yeah, it's very hard for me to be like, hey, can you like be responsible for this integral part of it? And then just like let that go. So a vision maybe too, like sharing yeah. that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a better answer. than I wish I had someone with whom I could share a vision that I know we would both be able to execute it to the level that both of us would be satisfied. Um, if you were going to become a close friend with your partner, please share, oh, because this is like the partner in this exercise, what would be important for him or her to know. That seems weird to me, i got to say, to be like, so if we're going to be pals, <laughs> yeah. there's something you need to know. I, I killed a man. I, killed a I didn't right. kill anyone. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think. I don't think. No, I didn't. I, I okay, can assure yeah. you I didn't. The, uh, however, I planned. No, I'm just not saying this. I don't know. I've never... I can be a pretty anxious person, although I feel like the, the last three years, particularly in my 30s, have been dealing with, like, being less about that. And, and like, it's not fun, and it's not useful. Like, I don't know. Like, I... Uh, oh, okay. Here's what you should know, if we're close friends. I only got my driver's license a year ago. I'm getting better at it. I'm not the person to go to, though, for maybe, like, a road trip or, like, I need you to pick me up driving through downtown Boston. Right. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Close friends of mine all know that I mean well, even though sometimes I can be, I would say a jerk, but it's just like, oh, yeah. I like, oh, I make fun of the situation. Like, sometimes I say things and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck this shit. Like, yeah. so I, I can sometimes sound like a bit of a jerk, but always I mean well. I don't wish anybody harm. Um, also that I genuinely want to hang out with people but I end up like well I got to do this comedy thing to prepare for this thing and then I've got to edit this thing and this thing and this and this and this so I end up being like hey let's hang out three weeks on Thursday <laughs> are you free three weeks from now on Thursday and a lot of my friends were like just let me know that week I can't plan out that far in advance but I like systematically plan things out yeah where are we Share with your partner an embarrassing moment in your life. There's really no reason I should be drawing a blank on this at all. Come on. I have all sorts of embarrassing moments. Oh, yeah. You know what happened? And this is not your fault. But no, it's weird. I'm already making this about you. I'm just trying to think that somebody came up. I, uh, I did that thing where like, I opened up my phone because I was running late and I felt bad. And I got to the top of the escalator and immediately checked to see if you texted. Saw that you texted and started texting you back on the top of the escalator, which to me, if I saw someone do that, I'd be like, that's a schmuck. That, I've caught a schmuck right up there. And that's what I did. Um, and I was terribly embarrassed. And someone like, some like merciful person just sort of tapped me on the shoulder. And like, and I didn't even see who it was, but it wasn't like a push. It was just like, hey. like, hey. And I feel like that person recognizes like, this person is forgotten. Probably in general knows what civilized behavior is. 
And, uh, and that was embarrassing just because it was like there was no reason to stop at the top of the escalator. And I, I've done so many more embarrassing things. It's just all this come in my head. I'll try to provide a better one maybe. But you go, and then I'll see if I can. Okay. Most embarrassing thing that I remember, I got sick outside. And then I was like, no, no, no. I feel fine. Now it's gone. I'm totally fine. We can go to the movies, guys. Because <laughs> we were like walking to the movies. I got sick. I was like, I'm just going to get some Diet Coke, which is not a cure for a sick stomach at all. That's a lie. And then I was like eating peanuts and Diet Coke. Bad combination. At any rate... Uh, we're going to go see The Town, the movie oh, yeah, The Town. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we're in. We watch all the previews. I was, like, talking to my friends, chatting, like, oh, man, I'm so excited about this one, or I'm so excited about this one. And then suddenly it's like, oh, no, you weren't done at all. And I'm like, guys, get out of the way. I need to go right now. And I did not make it out of the movie theater. I, uh, like, down an aisle to where, like, people were like, are you okay, ma'am? And I was like, one time, I'm not done. And so I just had, like, I was like, I what am I going to stay and watch this movie? Like, so I just like left. I told the people working there, I was like, hey, so sorry. I, um, I kind of vomited all over your theater. Uh, thankfully, not on anyone. Uh, but you guys might want to do something about that. Yeah, I felt really bad. But I still, because I hadn't seen the movie, requested my money back. Yeah. <laughs> and they gave it to me. Huh. Oh. Yeah. They weren't like, you're a jerk. But I was like, I didn't see a movie, so <laughs> can you refund my ticket? And the, the guy was just like, you are a brazen jerk. And I was like... So, <laughs> really? No, he didn't yeah, say that. Yeah. Just his face yeah, said that. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think, but if you're going to like, I think that's, if once you have an embarrassing or humiliating moment like that, that kind of style is really the way to end it. I, I, I appreciate that. I don't think I, I quite have, yeah, the moxie for that. And I wish I did. So uh, I know I've, I've, my life has been long streams of embarrassing things and I'm just like blanking on them right now. My embarrassing things... Yeah, I'm way too embarrassed to even mention them right now. It's okay. weird, we've mentioned a lot of other things. But um, but yeah, I've done some pretty stupid, thoughtless things and thankfully have been mortified in public doing them. All right. Is that more, tell your partner something you like about them already. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, they're supposed to build this. Oh, yeah. yeah this just, is like the idea, yeah. yeah. Just, that you understand. Like, I, I talk in metaphors very frequently. A fair number of people have been like, what the fuck are you talking about, though? And you're like, no, I understand what you're saying. So I, I appreciate that I don't seem, I may seem crazy, but at least logically there's some soundness to what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, no, no, that's, that's true. Tell your partner something that you like about them already. So, Kenise. Actually, that's, I like the faces you pull. Um, it's, and it was funny because you did that one, but I've seen you do it on stage, and then I was like, oh, no, she does it in real life, too. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, true. I like, I like uh, the punctu punctuating sentences and nonverbal interactions with certain faces. So far, your repertoire has been pretty fun, so. Your house, containing everything you own, catches fire. After saving your loved ones and pets, you have time to safely make a final dash to save any one item. What would it be? Why? My computer and external hard drive. <laughs> that is a practical and honest answer. And since you've taken care of the practical and honest answers, I will try to find a poetic one. So I read a... F uh, a Flannery O'Connor short story recently, and I can't even remember the title, but there's this rough thing that happens to this character right before they die about seeing, like, I think a bear tree, like a tree without any leaves on it, maybe not, imagining it, that then becomes, and it's a kind of a rough story, but, like, becomes, and this has an item, that it becomes just a, a scar against a world that was nothing but sky, like the bear tree. And then, like, shortly after reading that and that image kind of being stuck in my head, and, of course, those kinds of trees are all over where we're living right now. It's but I was at a newsstand, and some, I got a quarter and change, and it was... 
can't remember where it was, Connecticut or something, but for some reason, and it was like an oxidized quarter or something, the metal had been chipped away or something. So it was a bluish, dark blue background against just such a tree. And I was kind of creeped out having already had that image in my head, but I've got that coin now and I want it for a long time. And not that I live with pets or my family, mm -hmm. but if I had, if I'd saved all my roommates um, and I had time for anything else. All of else. your roommates are like the ones that you like. I don't know your roommates. Are. No, it's true. I have, I have seven roommates. Jesus. Right now, and I'm, some of them I don't know very well, but I so far wish death on none of them, um, which is pretty good, yeah. So um, I think if for some reason, they're all more physically fit and resourceful than me, but for some reason if they needed my help, I kind of, I really want to hold on to that coin at the moment. That's the thing, yeah. I was like, there's one thing, my sister, actually at Lake Tahoe after we got in this huge fight, we each got these super smooth rocks and carried them in our separate paths. Uh, but I'm like, if my ship burned down, it's a rock. It's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of all the people in your family, whose death would you find most disturbing and why? I think my youngest brother. He's only 22. I mean, I'd miss everyone. I'd probably, I'd probably need others more to be really horrible and callous about it. But the one that would upset me, he's supposed to, in my mind, he's supposed to live a long time. So I feel like, if I'm going to be 100% honest, if my twin sister were to die, because it's like, it's not just that she's relatively young, she's my age, whatever. But also, so much of my identity my entire life has been tied up with being physically resembling someone else and like having them around and being two logs that lean against each other versus trying to stand up on their own. I don't know if she feels that way, but I would be very negatively affected if she were just to drop dead. Yeah. All right, last question. So share a personal problem and ask your per partner's advice on how he or she might handle it. Also, ask your partner to reflect or reflect back to you how you seem to be feeling about the problem you have chosen. I'm trying to think, what are my problems right now? Not having enough time to do all the things I want to do. My problem right now is that I haven't been writing enough because I've been doing like film and podcast stuff. So this personal problem is that I need to write more comedy. I need more weird things to happen to myself so that I can make more comedy. <laughs> That's my problem. <laughs> How do you write comedy? Normally because like something weird will happen. I'll be like, what is this? This is creating lots of questions inside myself. Yeah. Like something that stirs a curiosity and like a where on earth did this idea come out of another person? <laughs> and then how do I react to it, I guess? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. What's your, what's your advice? So... I mean, I think I know a lot of different writers and have different writing processes, um, but, and it's like, there's the thing about, I need weird things to happen to me, which is a, a different sort of challenge. I feel like one th kind of universal advice, I feel like for writers is, I mean, and I think it's everyone knows it or like has experienced it, but like you got it, but needs to remind her, like it's okay to produce a lot of shit. Um, and like, and even if it's like, I don't know if you write, some, I know some comics barely sit down and write, and some really don't sit down and write, yeah. So like, and it's a little hard, some, I find it really painful to be messy when I write, but like, mm. some of the best, there's a, th I mean it's hard, but like, carving out that thing where it's like, I'm gonna write for an hour, and the first 30 minutes of Bremen will be really hard to even just look at on the screen. Mm. But maybe there's another thing of like, you can plant certain questions in your life about if, that phrase you had, where, how did this idea come out of that person, yeah. and like, and and whether it's a person or like a concept or just something doing, I'm trying to think about, it's I'm thinking about your material based on moving <laughs> California, Georgia, and all that, and then the, 
you know, I remember the question, is this in a lot of men's health magazines or something like that? Like, trying to figure out, so I'm thinking, I get some of the investigative, like, how could this be considered? Yeah, yeah. Or, um, but, like, maybe make sure you have that question as a prompt as you're going through the day. And, like, and you'll, if, apply it to things that actually seem, like, fairly normal. And most of these things may turn out to be unproductive, but if you keep, like, throwing the spaghetti of that question against the wall of all these circumstances, and then also making sure that there's at least an hour every day. I know it's hard, yeah. and that's a really asshole bit of advice because I don't always follow it either. But those would be the ones to do it. Cool. So, what is a what is a problem that you have? I'm sitting on this application for like for Teach for America, and they ask you why you want to teach. I don't know if this is the right question. I'm just really having trouble sitting down and writing that in an application format. I'm not sure this is the right. Damn, because I feel like I don't know what else you can offer besides like just sit down and fill out the fucking application. Um, so let me let me try to go back for a second. And um, I was just gonna reflect your advice back to you, sure, like yeah. just sit down and write about teaching until some sentences stand out to you as like, oh shit, this is the why. Like this is the why that. I mean, you're writing an application, so at a certain point you have to think like, why do I actually want to do this? But separately, what do they want to hear about me wanting to do this? So like, you just sit there and you write it out. Uh, as someone who is constantly applying for things. Uh, yeah, you, I, I don't know why I can do it with applications, but not with comedy. But yeah, sit down and just write about like, what do I actually feel about this thing? So like, say I'm applying for a job. What do I feel about dynamic tech company? Like, <laughs> in the first sentence is gonna be like, I feel nothing about them. Their website's okay. They've made this and this. They did this. And it's like, while you look at the thing and like kind of investigate until you have, and then you just like copy and paste the sentences that are positive and vaguely in line. And then you create like paragraph, 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 send, don't think about it. That actually sounds like really good advice. Um, and really kind of, I mean, like obvious and like, no, I don't mean that in a bad way, but like, you're right. That's exact. No, but that's cool because I think I'm looking at the application field and I'm really, all I'm thinking about is what they want to hear. And like, and then likely to write some really unconvincing bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, that sounds like the right approach, actually. Thank you. Yeah. What I actually think, and then because because I do actually have real thoughts, and I might even clarify a few others, and that's a good one. Thank you. Um, yeah. We both advanced in our life goals today. Yeah. All right, and guys, that was question thirty-six. So. How do you feel about this process? Was it totally weird? I know the context, or rather the location. Yeah. Well, both the location and the context were, are, are both strange. But overall, what do you feel? I mean, I'm glad I did it. It's, it's interesting. I mean, there's always value in like, trying to articulate things and even realizing that's not really what I mean, but how do I put this together? Yeah. Um, and also, there's always value just practicing listening to other people and doing the work of making sure, doing your best to understand them and, you know, probably often failing to, but thinking you do anyway. And... I think, I mean, the, the thing about this, and I, I think the, I will see how it comes up with others, is uh, it's not just that, like, we're doing this in a public space or anything like that, but it's, I mean, which is, in some ways, you have an, an edge on the, the, the way the woman recounted in the article, because she was doing it with someone she already knew, and, like, and it's clear this wasn't scientific, but the fact that we're doing this with the knowledge it's going to be podcast, <laughs> even with the things that are taken out, I feel like that changes... I'd, I'll be interested to listen t to the others, um, but um, I wouldn't... I wouldn't, my, the, my gut instinct, which my gut instinct's often wrong, but I would not be surprised if the element of self-consciousness and performance makes it impossible for this to work, unless you just happen to pair, like, people who are like, it was just gonna fireworks. happen anyway. Yeah, fireworks anyway. But it's cool. I'm looking forward, because uh, I think we're gonna be bumping into each other. I'm just, in general, just as, like, person in my circle, I'm looking forward to hanging 
like, or at least chatting with you outside of this very structured, because this is the longest conversation we've had. Yeah. Um, and so eventually some unmiked, unbroadcast yes. conversation would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, this was a thing. We did it. Hopefully it turns out into something. And thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.